All right, so now I would like to introduce <laughs> the Archbishop. Archbishop Carlson, who is our shepherd here at the Archdiocese of St. Louis, and really just an all-around great guy to work for. He's going to introduce our keynote speaker. So thank you, Archbishop. Thank you very much for that uh, heartfelt introduction. <laughs> I'd like to add my welcome to Elizabeth, and we're delighted that you're here. You know, often it may seem that as though no one is hearing our messages. As a matter of fact, we were at a discussion just about that not too many days ago here in the Archdiocese. But it's very, very important, as you all realize, that we do an ever-improving job of sharing the message of Jesus Christ and the message of his church. As a church, we're called to strive toward building relationships with others to spread the good news of Jesus Christ. And I hope that today will help you to continue to build those relationships, find strength and resources, as well as gather information which you can take back home to be used so that no matter what your particular responsibility is, uh, we do a better job of getting the message of our Lord out. In his own message for the 50th World Communication Day this past January, Pope Francis said that emails, text messages, social networks, and chats can also be fully human forms of communication. It is not technology which determines whether or not communication is authentic, but rather the human heart and our capacity to use widely the means which are at our disposal. I'd like to offer a challenge that you take the information uh, which is presented today and you bring it uh, to your particular sphere of influence uh, using wisely the knowledge so that you become not only a communicator but also an evangelizer. It's now my uh, great opportunity to introduce today's keynote speaker, my friend Father Joe Krupp from the Diocese of Lansing in Michigan. Father Krupp is pastor of St. Mary on the Lake as well as Sacred Heart in Hudson, Michigan. In the past, he served at Michigan State University, Lansing Catholic High School, and numerous parishes around the Diocese of Lansing. An author and a speaker, Father Joe writes a column, In the Know with Father Joe, for Faith Publications. I'd like you to join me then in welcoming Father Krupp, not only, Father Krupp, not only to St. Louis, where the weather isn't as nice as it's been in Michigan lately, but we have gooey butter cakes, so that's even better. Father Joe, I'd like to present to you the great people of the Archdiocese of St. Louis and beyond. Good afternoon. That was weak. All right, good afternoon. Thank you. I got to tell you, I, I come from a very large family, and so I, I assume your table's like mine, and there's a ton of those little bars, and I want to stuff them in my pockets. That's just part of uh, being the youngest in a big family. Any food, grab, flee, right? I am very happy to be here. I'm, I'm very excited, and this is a great blessing to me, um, and I hope that, uh, well, I think of when I was a kid, we, we had a priest uh, who was at our parish for three years, and every Sunday you could set your clock uh, to his 35-minute homily. 
And I remember as a 16-year-old praying for God to kill me or him. Uh, I didn't care which. It just needed to stop. 35 minutes. Uh, and so whenever someone says you're speaking for 35 minutes, all I think of is sitting in that front pew and just praying, no, stop. <laughs> I hope to prevent that today. I want to start off by telling you about uh, something that happened at my ordination. It was uh, June 13th. 1998, and I was ordained with two other guys, and uh, was very obviously the best day of my life. I feel bad for Jesus, but he allowed it. So uh, there's the part in the ordination where you lay face down on the ground, total surrender, and they began playing the litany of the saints. And it was such an extraordinary moment, I can't tell you. Uh, I, I felt it in my DNA that this was an incredible and defining moment. And then I realized something that uh, was very important, that clearly either the morning of the night or the night before, someone had cleaned the carpets. And <laughs> I was breathing in whatever the gasoline they used to uh, clean carpets. And it was pretty, pretty powerful. And I start coughing, and the guy next to me, we all start, and the three of us are laying there, breathing in carpet cleaning fumes in this incredible, uh, sacred moment. And uh, that's my talk. I'm just kidding. But it's, thank you. This was really hard. Uh, I worked hard on this. Later, when I told my oldest sister about it, she said, well, I assume that's going to be like an experience of ministry, uh, these incredible deeply spiritual moments wrapped up in very human ones. Uh, that, that combination of the incredibly sacred moment and the smell of carpet cleaner. And for you who have chosen to communicate Christ's truth to the world, I think that can often be your experience. Uh, sending out something eternal and beautiful uh, into a world that likes noise and is surrounded with this smell that, that disorients, that that can uh, try to block us from experiencing Christ. It's not our message that lacks because that means Christ would be lacking. Uh, the issue is and always will be us. I think of G.K. Chesterton who uh, won an essay contest when he was asked to answer the question, what's wrong with the world? And his entire essay was two words, I am. Uh, you and I are what's wrong with the world. We are sinners. We are broken people. We have need of a Savior, so thank God we have one. How do we, as God's people, communicate the truth and the beauty and the light that he offers us to a world that is filled with noise and, and anger? It seems to me there's a couple principles that we have to remember in our communication and in the way we go. When we look at the Gospel of Matthew, Jesus said, you are salt of the earth. He did not say you can be or you should be. And Jesus even uses the image, what if salt loses its flavor? With what can it be seasoned? So when I read that, I wondered, well, what will make salt lose its flavor? And I was, um, I was at Michigan State University where Jesus went to school. Uh, it's in the Bible. Uh, I was serving as chaplain there, and so I wrote uh, one of my parishioners in the chemistry department, and I said, how does salt lose its flavor? And this is the email he wrote back. 
Father, salt has its taste. It holds its taste. It's a mineral, so it stays forever. You can mix it with anything and eat it, but in the end, you still get the salt taste. I like this one. I recall eating sea rations in 1973 that were boxed in 1943. Each box contained a package of salt, and after 30 years, it still tasted like salt. For salt to lose its saltiness, a chemical action has to occur that renders it no longer salt. In short, for salt to lose its taste, it has to stop being salt. You and I, as messengers of God, we, we have a message that is Christ, but we're each individual and unique. We have our own past. We have our own personalities. We have things that make sense to us that don't make sense to others. And it is this filter that we are supposed to be, but we can't be too good of a filter. The best image to me is a stained glass window. Uh, at my, one of my parishes, we restored all the stained glass windows there, and it's a stunning thing to see the light shine through them. Christ is the light, and you and I are the individual windows. We're not the same. We are different, but his light is to shine through us in a specific way. You are salt of the earth. You are who God called, not a future version of you, not a past version of you. You are who God called, and his light will and must shine through you. This is how we be the salt that we are, our personality with the light of God's truth. The problem is, uh, for many of us, certainly not me, I'm, I'm the humblest person I know, it was kind of funny, really. I, I'm working on a book. It's called Humility and How It Made Me Great. I'm sure it'll be a bestseller. For many of us, there's a little too much of us in there and a little too little of Christ, that what comes out is our fear, our anger, and that is not Christ. Christ's most common phrase is, be not afraid. And if you and I witness to Christ, if it's Christ shining through us, not us through Christ, then our communications will become clearer and more clear to others a thing that they need. When I was at seminary, uh, we had a professor who told us a line that I've never forgotten. He said, humans are the only things God made on earth that experience joy and hope. So anything that taps into those two is the highest thing we can do. Our communications need to express hope to the world, need to express Christ to the world. Hope is not optimism. Optimism is something you and I make, and it's cute and everything. But hope is a virtue that God instills in us. <clears throat> and we can communicate that hope despite our circumstances or situations. And if we do it, it will have a profound effect. Too often... I would help a young man or woman at MSU begin the first steps of their faith, and they would do what college students do. They'd get on the internet and type in Catholic. And they'd begin scouring around looking for Catholic blogs and for Catholic articles. And about 60% of the time, they came away from it angry and scared. That which is being pushed as Catholic is often an effort to frighten us or to anger us, and that has nothing to do with Christ. When our fear becomes the defining message that people hear, then we have filtered Christ out instead of filtering through. 
It's very important that before we send any message out into the world, we ask ourselves if this is from Christ or if this is reflective of our fears and our sin. It is a big challenge. It is a brutal challenge. But it's one that we have to partake in because the message is that good. You can look over and over in the Catholic internet and find all kinds of people yelling at others for their culture, the culture they did not create. Most Americans, we are yelling at them for the water they swim in and they don't know they're in water. We can't chastise people for a culture they didn't create. We can show them the light and the beauty of the culture that Christ offers. One of the parishes I'm at is way out in the sticks. I'm actually at the border of Ohio, and um, I have a lot of jokes about that, and I'm not going to do it. But here's the thing. If I want to give someone directions to Sacred Heart Church in Hudson, Michigan, I do not tell them where not to go. I don't tell them, don't take this road, don't take that road. If you see that road, good God, don't turn right. I tell them where the church is. And too often, our messages are, don't do this, it's not there. Instead of telling people, this is Jesus Christ. I am desperately in love with him, and that love has transformed my life. This is what people need to know. This is what our communications need to make clear. I want to introduce you to Christ. For you and I, who are sinners... There is no better medicine than to reflect on what it is to be loved by love itself. To share how that love has transformed us instead of saying to the culture at large, you're doing it wrong, stop. If we try to convince people of Christ's truth without introducing them first to Christ, at best, we'll get a lot of obedient people who are not in love with Jesus. The deeper reality that we need to communicate every time we communicate is that Christ is in love with them and that loving him in return will transform their lives and priorities. It involves an act of faith on our part, faith that Jesus is right. And if we can introduce them to Christ, then they'll come to the deeper truths that we long for them to. What we want to do is make sure before we put a message out, that it is Christ coming through this. It can be and is a powerful thing. About four years ago, I, I started a Facebook, actually my students started a Facebook account for me. And uh, what I started to do was I began probably like most people do, I simply typed what I was doing that day, which is right up there with, you know, torture. And then every once in a while, I'd put in, I was a chaplain for the Michigan State University football team. That's where uh, Jesus went to school. I think I forgot to tell you that earlier. And I would post things about practice or about the sidelines or things like that. And one day when I was praying, I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart. And so I put that up. And later in the day, I looked and it had 400 likes. And I was surprised, all my others, 20, 30, something like this. And I didn't quite get the message. 
what I began to do is sometimes post uh, uh, my thoughts on what's going on in society because, you know, here's the thing, no one's doing that, right? There's just nobody out there expressing their opinions about the politics and the world situation. There's just nobody out there filling that need for opinions. I was adding to the noise. That's what struck me. I was adding to the noise. I was calling things wrong, and certainly I believe I was right about them being wrong, if I may, but I wasn't introducing people to who taught me it was wrong, to who taught me what is right, who showed me what love is. And in the end, within a, took the Lord a little while because uh, I can be stubborn, it struck me, and each morning that I can, I try to make sure it's something I, I felt like the Lord said, I post a simple message, talk to the boss, and then I relay what I felt like I heard the Lord say that day, or something from scripture. I can't tell you, and I mean this, how many emails I get every day from people I've never met thanking me. This is what hope does. This is what love does. This is what joy does. It draws people. It points them to the one who gives us life with a capital L. I had to swallow my pride, swallow my abject conviction that the world desperately needed my opinion, and let it be Christ who comes through. It can be a profound island of peace for people surrounded by this loud, angry society we live in. And we can do this not just with Facebook or Twitter, but with our interactions with people at the store, with our interactions with people we work with, that our words and our actions show them that they are worth all of Christ's blood and all of his breath. That there are few things we can, there is nothing, pardon me, we can communicate to people that is better for them than Christ himself. Our personality is the gift God gave us. And I hope we see that it's an answer to someone's prayers. That before you were born, there were people praying, people you've never met probably, for certain things that our society or our world needs. And you were God's answer to that prayer. I'm not asking us to swallow our personality. Christ created that personality, and he will use it for his glory. What I'm asking us to do is make sure that the primary message we convey with that personality is that Jesus Christ is the answer, that it is a relationship with Christ which will bring people the liberation they longed for and they hoped for. In the earliest and darkest days of the church, the days when Christians suffered confiscation, torture, imprisonment, and death, their circumstances were by any rational standard wretched, yet they were filled with joy and they were filled with hope. There is a quality to the presence of Christ in our hearts that transcends our experiences and our environment. When we talk about happy, it's a Latin word, hap, it means uh, circumstance. It's where we get the word happen or happenstance. But when we talk about joy, it is that which transcends our circumstances. That however fearful the situation around us and about us seems, Jesus Christ is present with us. And so we can endure and find joy in anything. 
Joy is a conviction that Christ has won, that we are running the clock out with style, in the words of Archbishop Vigneron. When we talk then about hope, that too is what we're communicating with our message. Hope, not that our circumstances will change, although they might, but hope that we can cling to Christ and in that find life. Brothers, sisters, you have been given a great gift, and you give a great gift in return. The ability to communicate and to share the faith is not one you should ever take for granted. I invite you and I challenge you in the same way I invite and challenge myself. Let God's Holy Spirit make us saints. Saints who communicate Christ and all we say and do. That in a world which is again filled with noise and anger and fear, we can be islands of peace, islands of Christ's presence, salt for the earth, light for the world. Amen? I wanted to leave a little bit of time at the end to see if you had any questions. Uh, and so I'll invite you to ask uh, questions. If I can't answer them, if I don't know the answer, I'll make something up. It'll sound very reasonable. Right. Oh, we, got a micro we got a microphone over there if you want just uh, one of these. There will not be a test on this. Apparently, you covered everything. Yeah. Oh, no, you know you didn't. There we go. I gave him five bucks. So. Hi. Thank you for the talk. It was great. I appreciate that. I um, just wanted to ask, how do you communicate uh, the value of uh, Christ's message to people when they don't see any value in it, uh, when they're so turned off and don't think it's worth anything to them? Certainly. How do you communicate the value of the message to people who are completely turned off by the concept? Right. To me, uh, again, it's, it's going to come in, a, in, in our presence, in our, um, I want to call it a mental and emotional commitment. And I, I'll give you an example if I can. Uh, the last parish I was assigned to, uh, it, it was just about there, right? Uh, they had the paddles and were screaming clear. And so one of the things I did was got a list of who used to go there, and, and I went door to door. And over and over, I encountered the same basic reasons why people were not coming anymore, why they didn't even want to hear it from me. Uh, there was a, a woman who pulled me aside. Her husband stopped going to church, and she couldn't convince him to go. So I made sure about once a month, at least, I drove by his farm. And whenever I saw him working, I'd get out and help him work. And uh, every time I did this, Afterward, he'd say, I know you came here to talk about Jesus and church. And I said, no, I, I came to help. About the fifth time he said that, I said, you know, it seems this is really on your heart. You've brought it up every time. Do, do, you, do you want to talk about Jesus in the church? And, you know, it worked. Uh, there's nothing more valuable than, than that idea from, and now my brain stopped, but it's the Bible, of Jesus getting in the boat that Simon was fishing out of and preaching from the boat. We've really got to get in people's boat, uh, whatever their circumstance or situation is. If they're angry at the church, if they're angry at God, you can always work with that. Uh, meet them where they are and show them what it is to be in love with Jesus 
and they will start asking questions. I, I really, really believe that. Meet people where they are, get in their boat with them, and uh, they'll start talking. Well, to help. Father, I had a question. You mentioned earlier that every day you put a message, I think you said on Facebook. Mm -hmm. can, can you give an example? Uh, oh, and Twitter. You do, it, do both Facebook sure. and Twitter? On Facebook and Twitter, my handle is Joe in Black. Uh, J-O-E-I-N-B-L-A-C-K. That was my student. Um, oh, one uh, I put up, um, give me a second here, okay? I talked to the boss. That's always the first line. He said that struggling emotionally does not mean failing spiritually, right? Uh, some kind of, of message there uh, that I felt I was struggling. My, my mother had just died, and I was finding it hard uh, doing all these um, hospice calls. I did four the week after she died, and uh, I felt that struggle um, inside of me, I, I, I realized I was wrestling with the wrestling. Does that make sense? Okay. And when I prayed that morning, that was the comfort I felt from the Lord. Struggling emotionally does not mean failing spiritually. And uh, sometimes it's a simple message of, uh, honestly, like today, I, I gave a little update. I'm going to St. Louis. And uh, at the end of it, I jokingly put on there, talk to the boss. He said he loves you. Um, and... Uh, that's, that's what, I stick with the basics, right? A lot of us, unfortunately, and I know we mean well, we're trying to convince people of steps 14, 15, and 16, and they don't know Jesus, right? That won't work. Yes? And that's tough, right? I, I mean, every Sunday, and I'm sure Bishop and all the priests here can tell you, you get uh, 15 suggestions on what you should have talked about, right? And what's interesting, it's always what they're worried about, which is convenient. Um, but one of the things I keep trying to remind people of, and, and I do, I, I get angry letters for what I don't talk about in a homily, right? And, and I try to, as gently as possible, say, they're just not ready. For, I, I want them to know Jesus, right? I want them to know Jesus, right? The four basic ideas. Uh, Jesus loves us. <clears throat> God loves us, that we're sinners, that we need uh, the community of the church, and we need empowerment by the Holy Spirit, right? That those four are the core of any homily I give, any one of those four, and that the next steps are for those who are ready. So we have Bible studies. We have catechetical nights. And uh, in terms of the anger and fear, I always ask them to take two weeks and don't listen to that guy or don't read that article. Um, and I ask them, see what you feel differently in that week, right? Because it is so, anger is so attractive, fear is so attractive. If you want to get a million hits on a Catholic site, scare people, anger them, point out those people, and oh, you'll get it but none of them will have gotten closer to Jesus. Father, this is Javier Orozco. I'm over here. I just had a more of a curious question. What has been the reaction of your peer priests, you know, your brother priests? How are they responding to your engagement with such a wonderful tool and 
What are you finding out about your brother priest? Are they getting influenced by you? Are they? What, what, I just wanted more curiosity how that's going for you. Uh, it, you know. <laughs> uh, <laughs> so much to say, brother. Um, Honestly, the younger priests, I, I, I found, um, like, I have a uh, sharing and accountability group, right, a group of five priests, and we sit in front of the Blessed Sacrament for an hour. We make sure we're going to confession every other week. We uh, uh, share what, uh, what we need to be challenged on, you know, um, and those guys are, are super supportive. Uh, obviously, for some priests, it's hard that I'm not hitting the hard issues, um, and, and I am. But it's happening one-on-one -on -one in my office, right? I really am having the awkward talks, the uh, going to dark places with people. But the, the public invitation is, is uh, you know, some guys love it and some guys do not. One of the, uh, I gave a talk to a group of priests in Detroit and asked them, I said, simplest thing, uh, if you tweet or post something on Facebook, try once a week just saying something about that reveals you. So uh, one of the guys, and it was hilarious, he sent me this long email. He said, you know, every day I've been posting a scripture verse. He says, last night I, I put, I hope Verlander is hot on the mound tonight, right? And it got 100 likes, right? And, and he couldn't figure, I said, because you showed them, you're a Tiger fan, right? You, you showed them something about yourself. You know your sheep, and your sheep know you. Um, that, that, that that sometimes, you know, it just depends on the priest, right? But, uh, yeah, yes. Hi, Father. Um, I was listening to Catholic Radio one day, and a young man from college, a college student, called in, and he said he was an atheist, and it was a day for Catholic Answers for atheists to call in or for people that were not Catholic. And he, it was on his heart enough Yeah. That Praise he called God. into a Catholic radio station, Praise God. and he said, "You know, I'm an atheist because I've read the Bible, I've done research, and I just have no experience of this person Jesus. I have not experienced in my in my life or around me anywhere I look. I can't find Jesus, and I believe that if God existed, I would have experienced Him." Well, I just thought that was a really sad commentary yeah. and I we run into it a lot um, with young with young adults like as we're working with them especially in marriage preparation and they're it's important enough to them to come to marriage prep yeah and it's important enough for this guy to call in but what ex what's the I mean you only have so much time right what can you say to something like that because that is a big statement Oh, sure. I, I try to take comfort in that line in the gospel. I know this is crazy, but a sower sowed seeds, right? Uh, and it's the simplest line, uh, a sower sowed seeds. Um, and that's what we're doing, right? There are, um, if we allow Christ to shine, right? If we, if we live as the saints we were made to be, uh, we have to trust the power of the truth that it will have an impact. And if we don't see it, uh, it'll still come, right? Because Christ can't be ignored. Uh, he can be hated. He can be loved. You can't ignore him. And um, marriage prep is, is a great example of this, that uh, at MSU, where, where Jesus went to school, um, 
You don't find that funny at all. And uh, I got to say, every time I think it, I giggle inside. Uh, we would have 120 couples in marriage prep at all times, right? We, 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 I did a billion weddings. And one of the things that I, I caught myself doing, and I, I was, this wasn't good, I was jacking up the hoops, right? I was, I was adding layers to marriage prep because there was a part of me I recognized that was really hurt that we put all this time and energy and then, you know, they disappear after the wedding. And what I recognized is it was my pride taking a hit. I didn't like getting used. And I read a marvelous quote from St. Jane de Chantel, who, when someone pointed out to her that people are using you, she basically said in reply, I use God, and he always still takes me back. And uh, that really challenged me to change the way I approach marriage prep, uh, knowing, you know, 20% of them, I'll see them again at baptism time, right? Uh, that I still have to give them my best and meet them where they are, uh, engage them, get interested in what they're interested in, um, and that trust that that's going to plant a seed that, please, Jesus, you know, some priest or, or somebody will see grow in nurture and in love. Does that make sense? Okay. Questions, comments? Okay. Well, thank you. This was really an honor, and I, I pray that God bless the rest of your day.